Good morning, this is Chris Shoemaker, also known as Yehuda Ben Shamer, and you're listening to Coffee with Chris, the time of the day where we share a cup of coffee and share a bit of the Word of God. We are currently on our fourth Sidra, our fourth Aliyah of this Torah portion of Behar, which means on the mount, and it's taken from Leviticus chapter 25, and we're going to be dealing with verses 25 through 28. Now, have you ever been on your computer or your PC or your laptop, and all of a sudden it's just slow and it's draggy, there's error messages, it's, it, it acts like it has a mind of its own, there's a bunch of viruses and trojans on your computer, and you just simply can't do anything with it. You've tried, you know, virus protection. You've tried uh, getting, uh, you know, computer guys to work on it. And basically what you have to do in order to salvage that computer is to return it back to its factory settings. Well, kind of the same thing happens in our tour portion this week. It starts out by saying, if your brother becomes poor and sells some of his property, then his nearest kinsman may come and redeem what his brother has sold. So we're talking about an Israelite who has fallen on hard times, and in order to provide for his family, he has to reluctantly sell some of his property, some of his inheritance, his God-given inheritance of land uh, from his, his, his tribe and his family. Verse 26, if a man has no kinsman redeemer, but he himself recovers and finds sufficient means to redeem it, then let him reckon the years since its sale and restore the surplus to the man to whom he sold it. Then he will return it. Uh, then he will return to his property. So he either gets a rich relative to redeem the property for him or somehow he manages to scrounge up the money himself and he redeems it back himself. But. Verse 28 says, if he is not able to get it back himself, then what he has sold is to remain in the hand of the one who bought it until the year of Jubilee. So really, depending on when the year of Jubilee is in regards to the sabbatical years, he could be waiting up to 50 years in order to get his property back. But ultimately, his property will revert back to him. In other words, the economy, the, the inheritance, everybody's property, the land, all reverts back to factory settings. And it says, but if he is not able to get it back himself, then what he has sold will remain in the one who has bought it until the year of Jubilee. Then in the Jubilee, it should be released so he may return to his property. Now it's interesting that uh, you know we see the exact same thing occur in Revelation 21.1, where it talks about God creating a new heaven and a new earth and how the old earth uh, is passed away and all things have become new. And it's interesting that even in the prophetic scriptures that it alludes to this new earth that the Israelites will still have their inheritance of land even on the new earth. Um, so basically Revelation 21.1 talks about how all of creation is going to return back to its factory settings. What is the factory settings of the earth? It's the Garden of Eden. Everybody, everybody and everything is going to return to a perfect, spotless, sinless, untainted, Edenic state, and that is the definition of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. So basically, what we read here in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 through 28, this ensures that God's inheritance to the tribes stays within the tribes and the families. No matter how many times things change hands, it will return every 50 years and things basically will return back to its factory settings. So don't lose all hope, no matter how bad or how corrupt things get, we always have that future hope of everything returning and reverting back to its factory settings uh, in the time to come. So, you know, uh, in the end, no matter what happens, we win. 
Guys, think about that this week. Thanks so much for listening. Go out there and have a great day. Shalom and God bless. Good morning. This is Chris Shoemaker, also known as Yehuda Ben Shamer, and you're listening to Coffee with Chris, the time of the day where we share a cup of coffee and share a bit of the Word of God. All right, we're on our fourth Sidra, our fourth Aliyah of this Torah portion of Bechukotai, which means regulations, and it's taken from Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 through 15, but we're going to focus on the first two verses and elaborate on that. Now, these first two verses, it says, Then Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When anyone makes a special vow to Adonai, and we're going to cut it off and stop right in the middle of that verse, too. It reminds me of an old Burt Reynolds movie where the Burt Reynolds character uh, w wanted to kill himself. And everybody was keeping him from killing himself. And finally, he finds himself out in the middle of the ocean, and he realizes, oh, oh, oh no, this is for real. I'm in, in danger of drowning, and all of a sudden I realize I really don't want to die like I thought I did. So he starts swimming back to shore with all his might, and he's promising God all these elaborate things if he makes it to shore and the closer he gets to shore he starts backpedaling on all these promises and vows to god until he gets to the shore and all of a sudden he doesn't promise god anything well god takes vows very seriously in deuteronomy chapter 23 verses verse 22 it says when you make a vow to Adonai your God, you are not to delay to make good on it for Adonai your God will certainly require it of you and you will have sin on you. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 4 and 5 says, It is better for you not to vow than to vow and not pay. Don't let your mouth lead your flesh to sin, and don't say before the messenger, It was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? And this totally relates to a passage I'm thinking of, uh, Yeshua's own words in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 33 through 37, it says, Again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall carry out your oaths to Adonai. Directly quoting from the passages that we just discussed. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Any more than this is from the evil one. And then finally, uh, the last passage I'm going to read to you is Psalm 76, verse 12. Make vows to Adonai, your God, and fulfill them. Let all around him bring tribute to the one who is to be feared. Now it's interesting, you know, we human beings, uh, we are prone to sin. We are prone to be rash. And really there's no provision within the scriptures that I can tell or I could read where we could backpedal on a vow. Even though God knows um, the frailty of our heart, our rashness, our impulsiveness, and though we may make a vow and may be punished in some way uh, for our sin, it's interesting that Judaism knows this and knows this very well. And so they have made a, a traditional provision on Yom Kippur to nullify any such vows that were made during the year that, that were foolish vows or vows that you just simply couldn't fulfill even though you did so to the very best of your ability. And I just kind of think that's interesting. So really the important lesson to bring away is, you know, if you're going to make promises to God, 
make sure you totally thoroughly think them through and it's just not a rash decision because you're thinking well if i promise god this then god will do this to me you know or god will do this for me like you're making some kind of deal with god god doesn't play the game let's make a deal you know uh, uh that might be a television game show but god doesn't play that game you know god says clearly you know if you're going to vow something fulfill it let your yes be yes let your no be no don't make any foolish vows because you're going to have to pay one way or another you're going to have to pay for the foolishness of your mouth don't let your mouth lead you into sin so this this kind of also teaches us the very important lesson of self-control and it reminds me of what it says in the book of james that, that the tongue is untamable we can tame wild beasts and animals and everything else but we cannot tame the tongue so that's why we need the help of the ruach hakodesh the help of the holy spirit that lives within us upon our choosing to accept christ as our personal lord and savior and we need the Holy Spirit to help us rein in our tongue, to take control of our thoughts, speech, and deeds, so that what we say and what we do and what we vow and what we promise are very carefully thought out and regulated, and it's something that we can do and not something that's a rash vow, thinking that we can sort of make some kind of deal with God. God already made a deal with us. It's called his Torah. He said, if you obey my commandments, then these blessings will come upon you. If you disobey my commandments, then these curses will fall upon you. So anything that you need where you think you, you must make a deal with God, can be found within the Torah. He says, look, if you keep my word, I will take care of you. I will fulfill all your needs. Don't worry about it. You don't need, even need to make vows and promises to me because the, the covenant's already there and I will fulfill it. Just be faithful to what I ask you to do, what I commanded you to do. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Go out there and have a great day. Shalom and God bless. Good morning, this is Chris Shoemaker, also known as Yehuda Ben Shamer, and you're listening to Coffee with Chris, the time of the day where we share a cup of coffee and share a bit of the Word of God. We are on our fifth Sidra, our fifth Aliyah of this Torah portion of Behar, which means on the mount, and it's taken from Leviticus chapter 25, verses 29 through 38. Oh, Toto, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Well, as they say, there's no place like home. This is talking about the Levite's home. In uh, Leviticus 25, 29, it says, if, if a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it has been sold. For a full year, he has the right of redemption. But if not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the wall of the city will belong permanently to the one who bought it throughout his generations. It will not be released in Jubilee, but the houses of the villages that has no walls around them are considered as open country or open fields. They have redemption rights and are to be released in the Jubilee. But here we go. But as for the towns of the Levites, so when Joshua came in and conquered the promised land, he gave certain cities for the Levites to live in. Because why? Because they have no land inheritance, right? And he gave them fields so that they could grow their, the, grow their crops. They would get the you know, meat and other things from the portion of the sacrifices, but they also had fields to where they could be a little bit agriculture if they wished. But as the towns of the Levites, the Levites may have a permanent right of redemption for the houses in the towns of their possession. The Levites may redeem a house sold in the town of its possession. Also, it should be released in the Jubilee, for the houses of the, Le of the Levitical towns are their possessions among the children of Israel. But the fields and the pasture land of their cities may, may not be sold, for it is their permanent possession. If a brother has become poor and his hand cannot support himself 
among you, then you are to uphold him. So this is basically saying that we need to take care of our own. We need to take care of ourselves before we allow the government to step in, a secular government that is, and take care uh, of our people. So we got to do what we can to help our brother out. He may live with you like an outsider um, or a temporary resident. Take no excessive interest from him. So when we lend and borrow from each other as believers, we're not to impose interest on each other. But fear your God so that your brother can live with you. You are not to lend him money at interest nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be their God. All right. Though the Levites have no tribal land inheritance and and the portion of the sacrificial service is their inheritance, nonetheless, God allows them to have houses, cities, and fields that cannot be taken away. Now, kind of bringing this back around to ourselves, we are God's royal nation of priests. We never uh, get the short end of the stick in the long run. We can be assured that God will always take care of us. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Go out there and have a great day. Shalom and God bless. Good morning, this is Chris Shoemaker, also known as Yehuda Ben Shomer, and you're listening to Coffee with Chris, the time of the day where we share a cup of coffee and share a bit of the Word of God. All right, today is our fifth Sidra, our fifth Aliyah of our Torah portion called Bechukotai, which means regulations, and it's taken from Leviticus chapter 27, verses 16 through 21. Remember when you were a kid and uh, the principle of no tradebacks? You know, you had a baseball card or a Hot Wheels car or, or something, you know, that you wanted to trade and uh, you see something that this other kid has and you're thinking, yeah, I really want that. I really don't want what I have anymore. So you guys decide to trade. But when you get, um, you know, whatever it is you thought you wanted, you're like, eh, I don't like it as much as I thought I did. So I kind of want my old thing back, whether it be the baseball card or the Hot Wheels car or whatever. And then all of a sudden the kid goes, sorry. No tradebacks. Uh, you know, we've probably all been there as a kid. So uh, this is sort of what takes place in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 16 through 21. It says, if one consecrates to Adonai part of the field of his possession, then your valuation is to be in proportion to the seed uh, to sow it. An omer of barley at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, it will stand according to your own valuation. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the Kohen, that is the Levitical priest, is to calculate for him the money according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, with a deduction to be made from your valuation. He who dedicates the field would ever redeem it, then he is to add a fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it will remain his. But if he will not redeem the field or he has sold the field to someone else, it may not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in Jubilee, will be holy to Adonai as a consecrated field. It will be owned by the Kohanim, by the priesthood. So if one donates a field or really donates anything to God, for Levitical use and decides he really wants that field back for his family or, or that possession back for his family, he must buy it back plus one-fifth of the original cost. Now, really, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody, 
you know, give to God and then decide they want it back. Well, part of the reason was is, you know, silver and gold and, and uh, you know, um, currency was not readily available at that time. So if somebody wanted to donate something to God, they would donate a field because it was worth something or an animal. You know, they you know, not just a sacrificial animal, let's say a horse or a camel for Levitical use. You know, they can tote things and, and, and transport things or whatever. And uh, they would do donate these items to the priesthood until they actually had the money that they needed that they wanted to give in the first place. And then they would buy this object or this field, whatever, back. Now, the reason being, why would the priesthood need the money? Didn't they get the uh, uh, part of the offerings from the sacrificial service, etc.? Yes, but they needed the money for the maintenance and upkeep of of the tabernacle itself of the you know furnishings and the articles and the utensils and things that are used in the priesthood uh the garments etc so that's what they needed those donations for so um you know why would you add one-fifth to the cost if you're going to buy something back well because of the inconvenience of the whole matter and number two for compensation for the loss of use for the crops that came from it so the lesson that we gather from this really unusual and obscure Torah portion, and it's kind of far removed from us because we don't live in that culture and it's kind of hard for us to understand or grasp, but the lesson we gain from it is when we give uh, something to God's work, it's best to leave it to him, cutting all strings to the gift that you have given him. If the strings are attached, it's not truly a gift or a sacrifice in the first place. Now, is it? So when we give it to God, we realize that, you know, it's God's and he will do with it as he wishes. He's a holy God, a just God, and he will use it for his honor and for his glory. And we should feel good about participating in the work of the Lord, no matter what that may be. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Go out there and have a great day. Shalom and God bless.